This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, are you cheating on your spouse through your bank account? Paul Golden with the National Endowment for Financial Education down in Denver helps us understand here in Canada about financial infidelity and how it happens everywhere, how being dishonest with your money can put a strain on the money and your relationship too, how do you fix it, plus how do we become more honest with our partners at the bank and maybe at the till when we shop. Handy Andy Brewer is on the Shift, he's on his redemption tour as he tries to design the perfect garden that can water itself. Also, we talk about who might be buying the company of Peloton and more. Are you okay with NASCAR and lots of more car stories, including parking lots and so much more? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with NASCAR? Are you okay with NASCAR? Mm. Vroom, vroom. Yeah, I uh, I am okay with NASCAR. I've never seen a race, though. I've never been to a live one, mm-hmm. and I want to so bad. I feel like it would be yeah. an amazing blend of people watching and car watching, which it, sounds yeah, great. It is. Uh, I've been to a few, actually. As mm-hmm. I say, I was a, did you in, used to drive a NASCAR? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, exactly. I was really into it as a kid, and I will say that for the first time in a long time, I checked it out yesterday. Wow. It was on television yesterday. They raced inside the Los Angeles Coliseum. I Never done that. this before. So they raced inside a stadium. They set up a track in a stadium and raced inside of it. Uh, it was interesting. It was actually all right. They have a new yeah, car this year that's very stock-looking. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. All right. There you go. There's the inside uh, NASCAR thing. I don't know. I found it's kind of like Groundhog Day. It's fast, and it does the same thing over and over and over again. Now, if you look at NASCAR, there are some stereotypes, if you will, some outdated stigmas that come with NASCAR. I'm going to drive, and I'm going to go fast, and I'm going to turn to the left sometimes. 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 So it's much more than driving to the left sometimes. NASCAR fans take the sport very, very seriously. It's an, it's not a, just a race. It's an event. This fan in Vegas, though, might have taken his love for NASCAR to the extreme. And now to an update on a man accused of intentionally driving the wrong way on the 215. He told a judge today the ghost of NASCAR star Dale Earnhardt told him to do it. 51-year-old Daniel SF is facing charges of attempted murder, DUI, and battery with a deadly weapon after he allegedly slammed into several cars Friday afternoon in the West Valley. In a court hearing today, SF told the judge that Earnhardt told him to drive the wrong way to get the mayor's attention and bring NASCAR back to Las Vegas. It was reported by the judge that SF had meth and heroin in his system at the time of the crash. Double whammy. I I just, for his sake, I like to point out that NASCAR races in Las Vegas twice a year at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. It's right off the strip. It's it's right there. Well, that's apparently not enough for this gentleman. Um, Prosecutors asked for $200,000 bail for the man, including alcohol monitoring and a ban on driving, which is funny. They didn't say he had alcohol in his system. (laughs) Like, they don't, wouldn't you want meth monitoring or something? Like, can you I don't do know. that? I don't know. I'm sure you can. The judge set bail at $500,000, ordering Asif not to drive and calling him a danger to the community on and off the track. 
Uh, Earnhardt died at the age of 49 in the final lap crash at the 2001 Daytona 500. That's hard to believe. That's 20 years ago. Yeah, only. Wow. Yeah, well, Dale Earnhardt would encourage you to drive the wrong way and smash into people. He was a pretty dirty driver, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And that's not a popular Ooh. opinion with NASCAR fans, but he was, <laughs> he was pretty dirty. Hot take. It's a hot take. That makes sense. Well, um, now I'm all for standing up for what you believe in. I think that's an important part of the society. And if you want more Vegas races, then good for you for standing up. How about not driving the wrong way on the road high and also high on two different things at the same time, <laughs> right? How bored do you have to be with meth? What else did he combine it with? It was meth wow. and what? Meth and, and I think cocaine was the other one, or was it heroin? So, heroin, heroin and meth. He was having So a party. how bored do you have to be with heroin to say, you know what would go good with this? Meth. Well, nice car. One keep you awake forever, and the other one kind of puts you to sleep. So maybe he's looking for a balance there. Yeah, ran out of melatonin. Yeah. Yeah. After watching Train Spotting, maybe he was just driving to the bathroom. Are you? (laughs) Are you okay with getting air? I don't like paying for air. Now that I mean, like for a while there, the air pumps you had to get. you had to use coins all the time. I never had coins. The very first time, actually, that I had to pay for air, I think it was at like a Sunoco station in St. Catharines, Ontario. Oh, yeah. I was so mad. I'd never had to pay for air before, but I needed air. So here I am driving along. I'm like, I got to add some air. So then I went to the machine, and I had to put coins in the machine. That sucked. And um, But now you can just use the tap on your credit card and pay your two bucks and get all the air that you're probably going to need. I I don't know if I was working at that particular Sunoco station when you were when you uh, were getting air. Although I have worked at gas stations before, and one thing that I would always always do is just like someone would come in and be like, oh, "I'm just going to get some air," and I'd be like, oh, "I'll just turn it on for you." You know, like I had a button that turned it on. You I could do that. Yeah, I didn't make people pay like ever. What? I thought paying for air was so wrong. It's everywhere. It's it around is. us. I paid seventeen dollars yeah, but- for a can of air. To like a duster can of air, seventeen dollars. That was the what? cheapest one I could find too. Yep, a that Canadian tire. Dumb. Um, this is the Sunoco. It was at Bunting and Carlton. Was that the one you worked at? I worked at in that Bunting and Carlton. Let me think here. Yeah, that's the one. I think you <laughs> no, said you worked it's at. It's the one I worked at. Are you kidding me right now? Again? That was what the one. That's... So that was Bunting and Carlton because I lived on Jennifer Crescent and St. Catharines at the time, right behind. I think it's a fitness center now. It mm. used to be like a Zellers or something in that mall. And um, and yeah, right across the street there was yeah. a. There's. It was a. That's where I paid. So it was you. How come I didn't get a free air pump? I don't know. I must have been working. Uh, there's one of those like newspapers now, like um, uh, that makes fun of Niagara. It's like one of those fake news things, like the Beaverton type deal. And mm-hmm. I saw the recent, most recent headline I saw on my Twitter was Bunting Road voted the most boring road in all of Canada. Bunting Road. Yeah. It is not a very exciting road. No, it's very boring. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the same house over and over, over and, and over, over and over. Again. Same yeah. brick bungalow for, yeah. from from nose to tail on that road. Straight yeah. as an arrow. 
Yeah, that's pretty funny. Anyway, if you're from the, uh, Niagara, you probably understand that. If you're anywhere else in Canada, that makes no sense no, to you. What not. you need to know is, as I went for air, had to pay with coins, BK was probably working at that gas station back in the early 2000s, and um, and I didn't get free air. That's what we need to know. But on Are You Okay, um, keeping with Ryan's theme of cars here, um, driving places where they not uh, where they should not be is our next story here. Are you okay with getting some air? Okay. Uh, a guy from our favorite place in the world, Florida, here on this one. A car struck and catapulted toward a Florida home. That car ending up against the home in Port St. Lucie Saturday morning. This after a train hit it and sent it flying. Police say it was left on the tracks by a man who stole it to go look for his own car. The homeowners were asleep. Luckily, no one was hurt. The driver has been charged with grand theft and criminal mischief. Wow. 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 So this guy in Florida says he jumped a stolen car seconds before, uh, jumped from a stolen car seconds before it was hit by a train and sent flying into the house. That was 7 News Miami. The 30-year-old, uh, 38-year-old man is facing charges of grand theft, criminal mischief, authorities said, and additional charges are expected. In describing the episode in a Facebook post, the sheriff's office said no title could explain this case, but the details <laughs> will, well, it's best just to read on. And that's from the sheriff's office. <laughs> oh, my. That he out florida a Florida man. That's how Florida that story is. That's holy Florida. That sounds like something out of like Fast and Furious, jumping out of a car before the car gets hit by a train, which then flies. That's Fast and Furious right there. Well, we had that the other way around. We had an airplane that hit the ground and slid like a mm. car into the train and then got hit by the train last Whoa. week, a couple weeks ago. It was like the opposite. Wow. <laughs> it's full circle. Glitch in the Matrix, man. Are you okay with... In keeping with the theme of the cars here, I think Ryan wants to do this one first. In keeping with the theme of driving cars in places where they should not be, let's hit this. Clip. Thing. Let's do it with a race car, because I, yeah. I can make that sound better. <laughs> the car goes... <laughs> Are you okay with... Thank you, there it is. Crossing the street. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Wait for the signals. Go in. It's your turn. Done. It's Depends. Right. If it's the chicken or the egg. Yeah, I don't know. I'm every... I recently, over the last year, have been in intersections where chaos and accidents have broken out, where I've had to run. Actually, there was one that was so close. I was out for a run a few months ago, and a Literally, I felt the wind of the car as it, it went right by me, right into the pole at the corner of the intersection. So now Why is this I, the first time we're hearing uh, about this? Well, you know, I lead a pretty low-key private life. I don't, I don't <laughs> mention things unless I have to, like right now. Holy. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, there's been two incidences like that over the last year. So now every time I'm in an intersection, like literally every time I'm in an intersection, especially that same one, I think about maybe this is this is it. I'm, I'm crossing, crossing the street, and there's cars. Well, everywhere. you know what you need. You need Ryan's mom there to hold your hand. I feel like I don't might. jaywalk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look both ways. 
Those are the rules when you're on the street, but people look at their feet, their phones, sometimes they daydream, headphones on, all that. That's where crossing guards come into play. And now a Maryland police officer is being hailed as a hero after saving a child from being hit by a car and taking the brunt of the impact herself. Fox 5 got to speak with the hero cop. As I'm laying there and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this, this actually did happen. I didn't even know what else to be thinking about at that point. It was just didn't seem real as it was happening. For me, I'm, I'm a parent as well, and it's like I just want to make sure that all these children are safe. It, it didn't matter if I got struck or not. It's just that I had to make sure that these children don't. Corporal Goodyear says after she got out the hospital, she went back to the school to see if the student was still there. They told her she was shaken up and went back home with her family. Corporal Goodyear says she then went to visit the family. She came down the stairs. She saw me standing there, and as she was walking towards the door, you know, she's was getting teary-eyed and you could see it um and when she started getting teary-eyed then her dad started getting teary-eyed so yeah we kind of all started at that point because i was just so thankful that that she was standing there and that she was okay we also spoke to the cecil county executive tonight incredibly grateful for what corporal goodyear did it was an amazing act of heroism truly that is what we envision of to protect and serve. I mean, that's what we want in our community. And it's just, it's, it's humbling. It's breathtaking. It's amazing. And we're just, we're so proud to have Corporal Goodyear, you know, in our working in our community. Sounds like a cool name though, right? Corporal Goodyear. Yeah, it's pretty perfect. Um, It's really hard to describe from this video of how close they came to tragedy. According to the Cecil County Sheriff's Office, the driver was cited for numerous traffic violations, including negligent driving. Now let's keep on with Ryan's theme of cars. How about driving in places where they should not be? Are you okay with parking lots? Well, they're there with they're t- they take up too much space. There are too many amazing spots that have parking lots in them. I, I they just take up space. Just and like for someone Mitchell. who doesn't have a car, I don't that. want them there. I was going to say they're not worth it if we have to pave paradise mm-hmm. <laughs> and put up a parking lot. Um, well, I can tell you this: at a parking lot, because of the provinces I've lived in, at a parking lot in Alberta you're probably going to have someone stop for you and let you walk in front of the car. In a parking lot in BC, I've always found most people are courteous. In a parking lot in Ontario, uh, do not trust that car is going to stop. It's kind of like Elf in the Buddy the Elf in the movie Elf when he says, the yellow ones are mean. Um, they won't stop for you. Never trust it. That same person that almost runs you down, though, in the Zares parking lot in Ontario We'll, we'll hold the door open for you when you go in the store, though, because they're very polite and very friendly. They're like, oh, good day, eh? Cars sometimes move very slowly in a parking lot. Not in this Wendy's parking lot, the story has. The crash, the car crashed into a Wendy's parking lot before it came to a stop. This did happen. He's airborne. Yep, I'm flying through the air. This is not good. Uh, Yeah, the car flew through the air. It flipped in the air. In fact, both the driver and the passenger involved claimed they were kidnapped by each other. 
Mm-hmm. You heard that. Hmm. Police responded to the Nashville Wendy's and say the car's passenger ran out with two guns in his hands and tossed them into the bushes. But because both involved gave conflicting statements, detectives are still investigating what happened. So just think about that. They were in the car together. The car came crashing into the parking lot, flipped over in the air, landed, and the police were there. And in order to get out of trouble, the driver blamed the passenger, said the passenger kidnapped him. The passenger blamed the driver, said the driver kidnapped him. It's quite genius, actually, when you think about it. It's quite smart. No, that's going to hold up for Mm -hmm. maybe 10 minutes. But the fact that it will hold up and they'll have to double check that is impressive. Yeah, I I think I think it's going to I think it'll go. We'll find out. We'll follow up here as we search for the hard news. This is the shift podcast. Oh, so many secrets, man. So many secrets in our world. And when we talk about money secrets, um, I've got a a special guest here sitting with me. His name is Paul Golden. I'll introduce him shortly. Um, But Paul, people keep money secrets, don't they? Uh, It happens. Yeah, it's um, really, you know, not not any different than any sort of other act of um, infidelity or deception that might happen in a relationship and can have just as much uh, impact. Uh, negatively on the relationship too. We've been looking at this for a while and what we find is that two in five people admit. So these are the people that are willing to confess that they have committed an act of financial deception against their partner or spouse. So think about it in terms of percentage at 43%, it's pretty common. Paul Golden is spokesperson of National Endowment for Financial Education down in the States. He's in Denver. He joins us here on The Shift, Financial Infidelity. Are you cheating on your spouse through the bank account uh, Paul, thanks for being generous with your time here. I really appreciate that. Um, you've been at this for a long time. Uh, I don't want to be judgy with this, but I, I I can't help but think financial infidelity must be a real big problem in today's relationships. Yeah, and you know, to your point before you, we went into the break, I mean, I think it's important to note that there's a couple different layers to what uh, financial deceptions can look like. And, you know, it's it's mostly common that you'll see somebody who's hiding a purchase, um, a little bit of money on the side, maybe even an account. But on a more egregious scale, you can see instances where people are lying about the amount of income that they're earning, the amount of debt that they owe. And and then you can see how it can become a much more significant experience for couples. But most of those folks are are kind of more in the minor range, Um, you know, just under 40% said that they're hiding that purchase or bank account or a little bit of money on the side. Um, Whereas one in five are are kind of more on that significant end of the scale, as I like to say, is, is, you know, like not being totally forthright with debt and income and all that type of stuff. So it's, you know, it's pretty common. Um, It does have uh, financial impacts and, and that's important worth noting. I was I was trying to think of some specific examples, Paul, of how this looks in a relationship, like specifically. So I imagine it to be um, I got it on sale, you know, that kind of thing. Um, maybe a, a, a lady comes home from shopping and, and I got it on sale or the fellas go on the golf trip. 
Uh, these are total gender stereotypes. Forgive that part. Um, but the um, the fellas go on the golf trip and maybe he takes an extra $500 cash for the casino that doesn't get tracked from a withdrawal, you know, that he's been sort of setting aside maybe with some bottle returns or, or something like that. So it, are those the kind of simple things that we see for financial infidelity in relationships? Yeah, and, and I would go back and say it's not like, you know, around the holidays you've bought gifts and you don't want your significant other to know about them or a birthday present or Valentine's Day present or whatever the case is. That's not what we're talking about because we do buy those um, in secret, uh, of course. But it's it's thinking about any other sort of act of deception within your relationship. If you're ever at a point where you're not comfortable talking about it and being transparent about it, it's probably an issue. And it, it's, you know, why is it the issue? And, and I think that that's an important part of the discussion. And we commonly see as we've been looking through this that um, and, and I find it one of the most interesting things is that um, one in three people, even though they're in this committed relationship with their significant other and they're sharing everything with that person, they still believe that aspects of their money should be remain private. I find that really interesting. Mm-hmm. But then as we look at other reasons why this occurs is some people are fearful or embarrassed about how they spend their money. And maybe yeah. that couple has come together and they've had conversations about money and um, they know that the act that they have done is in direct conflict with that discussion that they had. So they're like, oh, you know, I did it and I'm, I'm really worried about how I'm going to be judged or, um, you know, the disapproval I'm going to experience from my partner and they're embarrassed. And so that's the um, that's the important thing to look at, because if couples are not having regular and frequent conversations about money, it's more likely that there's just going to be this general sense of an uneasiness. There's so many different angles here. I know in Canada, Paul, we don't teach money very well in school at all. Is it safe to say down in the States it's 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 not working either? Um, I wouldn't say it's not working. I and mean, we, we can point to examples in every state where there's something going on that's, that's really well and really done effectively and thoughtfully. Um, there is not a, a national strategy for teaching all kids uh, about money in K through 12 and you can't do it in one sitting. So that's, that's part of the challenge. We have to start to look at money management and our interactions with money as a lifelong learning process, right? Because, um, our behaviors change, our opinions change, our values change. The ecosystem that we live within is always evolving. So, um, we're doing better than we were. I can even say that over the last decade, things have been better, but it's um, it still needs to be much more thoughtfully done and much more consistently done. Fear of looking bad uh, inside a relationship. I mean, that always sucks. I, you know, when I, I have friends that don't want to look bad in front of their partner and all that stuff, I mean, you kind of feel for them. You're like, yeah, man, I totally get that. But at the same time, that's supposed to be your partner. You know, I, you would like to think at least that you could be your true self with your partner. Now, I imagine it sort of starts with dating debt when you're dating somebody and they're like, Oh yeah, I have a job. What do you do? I'm a pilot. What do you do? I'm a doctor or whatever. And then you go through your dating, but you know, this sort of infidelity thing is not unique to one income bracket. It's the same for everybody. So it doesn't really matter what you do or how much money you make when your debt level, for example, is higher than you lead someone to believe. And you hear those stories about, you know, I didn't know you had 
this debt until we got married. By the way, I've got $150,000 in student loans that I didn't tell you about. We can't afford to buy that house. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, to your point with the regular deceptions that go on, it's it's not necessarily about the dollar amount, but it could be, too. Right. Um, if you have households who are really living off a lean budget and every dollar is allocated to you know a certain expense and somebody goes one hundred dollars outside of that, it can be very disruptive and it can be problematic. And so, yeah, you know, it can be the dollar amount. It can be um, just the fact that, you know, we're different. And that's the other part that I think bears mentioning is that every person has a different value system. And with our financial values, that's true as well. Um, it's not like for me, I really like to spend my money on experiences. I'm not about having, you know, awesome cars and things in my house, but I mean, I like to go out and get together with people and go out for nice dinners and, you know, do things with my children and have those experiences. So that's where I'll spend my money a little bit more And in a relationship that can be in conflict with somebody else who likes to spend their money with more tangible things for, for example. So understanding who your partner is from a values position is is pretty important as well too because then you can see one where you align or two where you different uh, where you're different from each other which could be a gateway for um you know differences in how people are spending money what about compulsion gambling cigarettes alcohol drugs well those things can yeah i mean especially if we know that we shouldn't be doing that and in, in our, our significant other does not want us doing those behaviors yeah, or we're more right? likely to hold it. And some of those things you mentioned are, are pretty expensive um, and can be very, very uh, damaging and seriously problematic from a financial perspective. So, you know, it. I think you know yourself and we talk about understanding your values, that's part of it. And if you can understand like where you're likely to be spending money. And if you know it's something that's not healthy for you, you're not good for you, then you owe it to yourself, not not just your relationship. You owe it to yourself to to try to take that inner look and uh, you know see what you can do to make it a little bit better. Well, and I don't draw a conclusion on somebody who, you know, the part your partner knows that you're going out to spend an afternoon with your pals at the pub and, and you blow two hundred bucks. Um, you know, that if your partner's like, sure, I'll pick you up at six, I mean that's not really what we're talking about. It's more like, yeah, I didn't spend any money or how was your day? Good. Or you're breaking the agreements of it all. So this is amazing. 43% according to the stats, the National Endowment for Financial Education in the States, when you guys do this, did this last summer to release this info. So um, how do we get around this though, Paul? I mean, uh, here you are, you talk about it. Um, 43% is a pretty staggering number. I, I don't know if I know anybody that openly talks about money that really has a full grasp on sharing. No, that's not true. I got one friend that him and his, him and his wife are very, very good at that. They work on it together. Uh, but I know so many people that, especially after they've been divorced once, they will say, um, no, I, I like to have my own accounts. My money's my money. Your money's your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's not a one size fits all there, but um, that, that could be the answer. And, and, you know, I'm divorced um, in my, marriage we did have a combined household accounts for everything and now i'm i'm in a relationship where we don't (laughs) we separate finances um and that's just how we choose to do it that's what works for us and you know i mean it's not 
it, you don't not necessarily doing it because you're just trying to hide something or be deceptive about something. It can just be a little bit cleaner, uh, I think, for for some of those things. I do think it's efficient. It, well, and I think, you know, but but it's tricky, too, if you're maintaining separate accounts and you're sharing a household because there's got to be some still collaboration that's happening. Um, you know, if you're going to be paying into like one household account so that you can pay all the household bills, the mortgage, the rent and all those type of things. Well, you know, you need to you need to be doing it. And I think you need to be doing it equitably if that's the case. So if yeah. I'm making 60 percent of the household earnings, I, you know, I should be paying 60 percent toward, you know, those bills, however you work it out. Um, yeah. But you, well, that's what I worry about, though. Right. Is that it, like vast differences in in the percentages of the earnings. Yeah. And not only that, I think about it from the perspective of, you know, well, I pay the mortgage, so she pays the this bill, this bill, this bill. It kind of works itself out. The stress that comes with the burden, again, something that we don't talk about because it seems to me as we, we go through this, that communication really is the breakdown here, um, that, uh, you know, sometimes that burden becomes too much. And then all of a sudden now the partner goes out and spend some money and oh, I had a little extra money left over. Well, I didn't know. I don't have any money left over. I can't go golfing this week or I can't go buy this new item. And yet you're out here shopping, spending money like crazy. And now all of a sudden you're in an argument about something that you didn't need to argue about. Right. Yeah. And that's the point is you want to get to that point of transparency and communication. So it's not after the fact. Right. And and there's a lot of different you know, ways in which you can do that. I think that as a as a couple, you can set, you know, uh, some ground rules like, okay, if there's, what's the tipping point on what we consider to be a large purchase, you know, and for some that might be a hundred dollars, for some it might be more, for some it might be less, whatever the case is. But it's like, that's the trigger point where we will come together and we will discuss it before we progress with it. I think it's important too that because people do have different values, um, then you should allow people to have some money that they can just spend as they want to. I don't want to call it like play money or whatever. It's that discretionary spending though that mm -hmm. you can do with as you choose. Um, and, and the other person should keep all their, you know, negative thoughts about how their partner is spending the money to themselves. If that's going to be the case, because, you know, like if we get back to why people are committing acts of deception is they're doing it because they, there's, there's lots of reasons, but some most people are saying, you know, it's like I my I knew my partner would not approve of what decision I was making or I'm embarrassed or fearful about it. And they might be embarrassed or fearful and just assume that their partner thinks that about them because they've never had the conversation. So that's important too. again, to your point, all comes down to communication. Otherwise, you're just guessing. Right. Yeah. I just assume that my partner is thinking this about me, even though I, I don't know, I can't validate that, but I just assume that they're like not going to love that I uh, went golfing three times this week and we we did the 19th hole on every round. Yeah. Well, and, and then of course, date night drops off. We don't have enough money for date night, but you have enough money to hang out with your buddies, right? You can see the cascade, the kick the ball down the hill. The one little line here that got me in this uh, CNBC article that you're a part of, Money is often a uh, reason for stress in the relationship and is leading cause of divorce. So it sounds important. <laughs> well, it does when you put it that way, right? <laughs> and, um, I'll put more context on it to what we know through our data. And that's um, we, we want to know what financial deception looks like for people 
We want to look at why it's happening. But then we want to look at what are the outcomes on a, on a relationship. And what we find is that 85% say that the financial deceptions when they've occurred in relationships um, have had some sort of effect. They've had some sort of impact. It's the common stuff that you would expect. Um, for most, there's an argument. Uh, you do get to the point where you have that less trust in the relationship, that breakdown of trust. There's less privacy in the relationship. Um, in our data, we, we find that 16% say that um, when an act of deception had occurred, it led to a separation of co combined finances. Um, another 16%, respective 16% said it, it led to divorce. Um, so, you know, in our, in our study, the acts of deception maybe don't immediately lead to a divorce. It might have to be a, a growing problem or something that evolves over time before it gets to that point. But it's important when you look at what the impacts are in a relationship that we do note the silver linings and there are some um, one in five people say that when there was an act of deception within their relationship it caused the couple to grow closer together and 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 another 16 percent said that the deception caused them to communicate more proactively so when you get back to that point it's all about having solid communication and an understanding of who your person your partner is as a person you know that that's the stuff i like to point to to say that there can be some some positive traction that comes at, don't go, don't go committing acts of financial deception. I'm not saying that. Yeah. Uh, right. I'm going to try to save my marriage. That's why I bought a sports car. But when it happens, um, position it as like, you know, this can be a, a teachable moment for us and something yeah. that we can start to have better communication and transparency with each other. Yeah. I love that. Uh, this is so good. And we all know in relationships, uh, I'm a divorced uh, guy too. So you know very quickly that um, fissures become fractures very quickly if you don't deal with them. And uh, I guess the the peaceful thing to take with you is you, you don't have to be cheating on your partner financially. You don't have to. I would say that if you can't come up with a plan on how the finances work for you, you probably could subscribe to the help of a counselor, psychologist, or mediator on what that looks like. And then at that point, maybe it's just time to look at, maybe it's a deeper rooted problem, but at least you're going to get an answer and, um, and probably feel a heck of a lot better because we don't even get into the psychology of, you know, buyer's remorse and all that stuff, right? That comes right. with this. So, you know, and imagine that that burden when you get home and then you feel guilty. So then you put a little extra squeeze on the kids because you're walking around feeling guilty or on your partner. So this is fascinating. I really appreciate your time and sharing it with us, Paul. Um, it's a great article. We're uh, taking this particular article from CNBC. We're putting it on our Facebook group for everyone to take a look at. Uh, just so everyone can look uh, here and allow that your work down in the States with the National Endowment for Financial Education uh, trickle across the border to us, Paul, and help us out in Canada. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, we got a, we got our own issues down south here. So, uh, Shane, it's good to be with you. I, I, thanks for having me on and just kind of talking about this. I think, um, you know, no matter where, where couples are, it's important just to not feel frustrated by it, not be embarrassed by it. And, and you know, approach it as something that can actually be positive because you can turn it that way. This is the Shift Podcast. It is time to bring him back. Glow stick, disco pants and all. It's Handy Andy Barrar.
Yeah. AndyAndyMedia.com. There we go. We have tapped into Andy's childhood. That was his favorite song. We used to go to his grandparents' place and watch uh, Hindi movies uh, with his grandparents. And uh, that is the favorite song. And that is it. That has now been decided as the Handy Andy, Andy Barrar disco dancer song. That means every time we start this segment, I'm going to have this huge grin on his face because it just takes mm-hmm. me back every time. It's like so good. It's like the worlds have finally like aligned, you know, from the time I was mm-hmm. four when I first listened to that to right now, Shane. I am. I love it. I am happy as a lark right now. I don't never. I don't know how happy the larks or clams are for that matter. Um, but I, um, I imagine them to be this happy as your faces. Now, Andy, you took your beard off. First of all, let's talk about that. The beard was big. It was bushy. Yep. You didn't even get your beard mask yet. You took no, it off. no. But Shane, pretty much, <laughs> I've, I've noticed that I just follow your lead. You know, you started oh, a beard. That's, I saw it yeah. getting bigger, so I said, "Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll do one." I caught up pretty quickly. Yeah. And then you shaved it off, and here next mm-hmm. week I shaved it off. So it's true. Tip I, for um, tap. I also used to I used to also go watch movies at your grandparents' place. So you didn't know that either. So I suppose <laughs> um, that's the way it goes. Um, well, you can still enjoy your beard kilt when it arrives, uh, regardless of having a beard or not. So here we are. We're going to nerd out DIY our day away with Andy at handyandymedia.com. You have taken a video that you've done. You've already posted it on your Facebook group, whichever one should go check out your page, plus handyandymedia.com. You have a YouTube channel. Just follow all these things and not only keep in touch with what we're talking about today, but keep in touch with all of the things that Andy gets up to. Tis the time of year to get ready for the garden. Shane, it's the Redemption Tour. 2022 is my Redemption Tour because last year we talked all about me setting up, you know, um, a, a garden. I started blueberry. I started growing blueberries. Then uh, we you had killed the heat. blueberries. Technically, the heat dome. you had perfectly healthy blueberries and all you did was kill them. No. Okay. So here's what happens. <laughs> and here's what people need to know about me. I love gardening. I just don't like the watering part of gardening. So I have been setting up these automated watering systems and so last year, I got I got um, my hands on some reclaimed wood, and so a lot of it, like old fence panels. So I made these raised garden beds, and then I bought some soil, bought some manure. I got a, a blueberry farmer friend. We exchanged plants. I got all these blueberry plants, <laughs> and I put them in before I set up my automated watering system. What did you change? Exchange your blueberry plants for, Andy? For this other plant that we're uh, allowed to grow in Canada now, that uh, <laughs> is, is very popular these days. It is, yeah. <laughs> so I had more than the four I needed, so I I exchanged them for for blueberry plants, and um, everything was going good until the heat dome came, and I did not go outside to water them, and they died. So this is the year that I'm on my redemption tour. I've been thinking about this all winter, Shane. I've already started working on this new irrigation system that I'm going to build. The prototype that I created in September works. I'm sorry, folks. Canada, I'm going to be talking about irrigation for a while in the next Mm. couple of weeks because this has been something that I've been really um, passionate about. Because once I set this system up, I'm going to save so much money, Shane, on on food because food prices are going up. And I'm like, you know what? I got land. There's sun out there. If I can just get the water to these garden beds, 
I can grow food. So what people have to see right now is I've already started early. If you go to shiftheads.ca, you can see a video, an exclusive video for Shiftheads. You're not going to find this anywhere else. And it shows this indoor vertical gardening system that I have in my kitchen. Originally, it's an actual system made for hydroponic growing where you would use, you know, you have to pH the water, you put all the nutrients into this tub, and then it it sends the water in this hydroponic system. So you don't use soil. It's just, you know, nutrients in water. That system, Shane, it, it was almost too good to be true. When I saw it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. But it requires a lot of user, um, like, in, you have to basically keep on tabs on your pH levels and just a lot of monitoring. So I, I kind of gave up on it. And then during the wintertime when COVID was happening, I'm looking at this thing and it's just sitting there. And then I had one of those eureka moments where I'm like, if I build this shelving system around this system, I can just grow with soil using the LED lights that this uh, grow wall provides. And you can actually see it. This is a DIY project where I bought some two by fours uh, and some plywood and built this shelving system around this um hydroponic system and now i'm using the led lights to grow from soil and you can see the system that i have where i grow little stuff from seeds and then i transplant it outside and let it continue growing in the self-watering system so i already started chain with like spinach kale and all the cold crops that you can grow because i'm on the west coast it's a little mild here so we can start a little early and so that's basically what i'm doing winter gardening experiment trying to grow some crops in February. And uh, I will keep tabs on it and show people how how it turns out uh, over the course of the year. But I will grow blueberries. It They will come back this year, Shane, except I will make sure I have the watering system set up before I get those plants. Well, that's exciting. And the, I pinned that uh, video, by the way, so it should be at the top of shiftheads.ca uh, free to check out. It looks really cool. Um, and so what are you planning all things to put in the garden this year, including the community garden, because Andy does a community garden down the street. Yeah. So the funny thing is I have this community garden on just a little city boulevard uh, right on the other side of my property. And, you know, the neighbors love it, except everyone's noticing that I don't water my plants. So every time I'm out there working, people are like, hey, make sure you water your plants this year. So, you know, they were teasing me. And so I decided this year because of this irrigation system I'm setting up, Shane, I'm going to drill a little hole in my fence and I'm bringing that water right out into the community garden. So all the little like watering systems that I have created on my own property, now all my neighbors are going to see. So I already growing, uh, I already started peas that are growing in the community garden and um, I'll be making more videos during, during the next couple of weeks showing how that whole thing gets set up. But once that watering system's in, I'm telling you, it's the best, Shane. Because all you need is sun. And my future, my future plan is, and they don't, to my knowledge, they don't have a system like this. But you get a watering system that connects to the internet. So if it does rain, the system doesn't turn on. But if it doesn't rain, then it will turn on. And then you can get soil uh, moisture detection uh, little devices that then connect to everything. So, you know, like high-tech gardening, I think, is the future. And I, I just want to see it more on a consumer level so that, you know, people, you know, gardening became huge during COVID. And I just want to see more technology to help people grow their own food. Because I'm quite surprised we don't grow our own food as much as we can. We have the technology. We just need to use it. We need to get into the habit 
of doing what our grandparents have done and, and our ancestors did for hundreds of years. Well, and how cool would it be to have it in your basement, right? If you wanted deep root stuff like carrots, you could just go to your basement, and clip it. Yes. To me, that's cool. And even the system that I have in my kitchen, I'm just wondering why we don't have the ability to grow. Like anybody can get, you can buy these little lights with trays and get a head start on your growing season. Like if you look at that video, I'm growing these green chili plants that take like almost three weeks to germinate and then they have to grow. So it takes a long time. So it makes sense to get an early start. And I hope to mm -hmm. see in the future, kitchens of the future, would you have like a herb garden built right in using LED Love lights it. so you don't have to yeah. go outside? Like it just seems yeah. to make a lot of sense. Well, it really does. And we talk about being more eco. So that takes transport and plastics out of the equation. And then it's also going to clean the air in your house like tiny little bit, but it's going to help. So this is good. By the way, I did get this text from uh, Manitoba. FYI, in Manitoba, we still can't grow the good stuff. So I looked it up while you were chatting there. And yes, there is, uh, they're combining in Manitoba with Quebec for a Supreme Court appeal because you are legally now allowed to grow up to four cannabis plants per residence unless you live in Quebec and Manitoba where they've still banned home cultivation. The last article I could read on that was from September 22nd, 2021. So there wow. now you know. I had no idea. Me neither, well, actually. Good, good thing I live in British Columbia. Yeah. Well, I mean, BC, let's be honest, you could always, you could grow that in bc for the last 20 years nobody really cared a lot of people don't grow it themselves they they still go to the dispensaries but like you know i, I grow my own spinach i grow my own kale that it, it seems sense to grow like anything that's green you might as well just grow it yourself you um you uh could accidentally make the wrong salad though <laughs> yeah right well or, or or make new salads you never know um I'm not into the edible stuff. I, I don't partake in that kind of stuff. That's just, that's too, that, you only have to do it once to know that you shouldn't do that again. <laughs> Ryan, you should talk to Ryan. He's like an expert. He's like the cookie monster of edibles. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Legit. He's shaking his head in the background. One text came in, Andy, just to reassure you about your blueberries. It says, I forgot how invested in Andy's blueberries I was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a stubborn Very guy. You know, story. If I could tell you one thing, when, when you take on like the DIY culture, you just have to kind of like understand that rarely anything works on the first time that you try it. And, um, that was a case in point with these blueberries. You know, I kind of jumped the gun. I, I got all excited. It was nice weather. I got the hookup and I made the deal before I set up my irrigation system. But lesson learned, Shane, you know, there's always next year. That's the great thing about gardening. So, yeah. And, you know, another thing I was thinking about, Shane, gardening, I'm going to make more and more gardening videos on YouTube because unlike tech, gardening videos don't get old. You know, gardening doesn't change. And so that mm -hmm. that those kind of videos will stick around, you know, and be relevant six years from now. Nobody cares about like the you. iPhone 12 review in six years. Yeah, right. So, yeah, a little so, legacy uh, planning in the business here. This is yeah, good. I've I been like thinking. this. I've been thinking, Shane. Like, yeah, you I have been. A, um, yeah. If you be a future. You can see your future here. I like this. Um, okay, let's uh, switch to technology here quickly because we have two things we want to get through before we're done. Um, Peloton has been crushed crushed in the world of stocks because well frankly they've been terrible so um there's some other companies are starting to eye them up a little bit yeah and what's funny is peloton stocks are gone up 
but for all the wrong reasons because people are starting to suspect that they're going to be bought out. Now, the rumor is there's a couple of big tech players that are looking to buy Peloton. It could be Nike. It could be Amazon. And some people think it really should be Apple to, to buy Peloton because I don't think you're, we're going to go to the end of the year and Peloton will be uh, a separate company. They are prime for an acquisition right now. Um, they stopped making bikes because there was such bad demand for it. We talked about there's a re whole reseller marker market for these bikes. Uh, people are dropping their subscriptions. It was huge in the beginning of the pandemic when the gyms closed down. That's when everyone was talking about Peloton. But as society is opening up, you're starting to see people not use their bikes as much. So, you know, the, the question is, what company would benefit from Peloton the most? I think Apple. You know, Apple's made some big roads with the health and fitness with the Apple Watch. If they could get an exercise bike that would work in conjunction with that, I think that would make strategic sense and they could make the whole subscription uh, space relevant. My only question, Shane, I'm interested in your perspective. Do you think these like at-home subscription-based exercise machines, whether it's a bike, a treadmill, or even these new smart mirrors that show you exercises and watch you. Do you yep. think that has a space in the future or is this just the next, you know, generation of equipment that people end up, you know, not using at home? I think that it, well, it's going to be like all things home fitness. It's still going to be a place to hang your laundry without a doubt. Yes. It's become a very expensive coat hanger, even more expensive than the old stuff. I don't think that anything is going to replace the interactive group stuff ever. So I think it's a, a very novel item and it's always going to be a novel item. I would say that until the days when you're doing such virtual digital workouts that you can have a vir you know, this virtual trainer on a screen teaching you how to do it is actually so far away that we are seeing little drops of it in society, but it's not, um, it's, it's nowhere near our real life right now. And it is subject to exactly what you said when we've gone through the last two years. You know, after the Spanish flu hit a hundred years ago, there was the roaring twenties. Everybody was out again, spending money. And then that was followed by the pendulum swing, right? Of the dirty thirties and so on. And then into the forties where things came back again, but then that started the wars recovering from whatever. So the pendulum always will swing. And I think isolation, I think what we're seeing more and more is that isolationism in products works to a degree, but it's such a very small drop in the bucket. I don't imagine it until we are so VR that we're talking like Star Trek Next Generation hologram suite. I, I don't think that we're going to see um, it be a sustainable part of society yet. It's going to be a small segment that works. it works for. Right. Like there's the small segment of people that want to be able to ride a digital bike ride through France. And that's the yeah. adventure they want to take because they can't go there today. That will work. There are people who want to just have someone cheer them on because they need a 20 minute bike ride before work. That will work for those people. So I, it just I doesn't a, replace the what's real. I have a crazy idea for Peloton. You know who I think should buy them? Netflix. And Netflix suddenly goes free TV and movies. However, you have to spin to, to watch. Have the electricity. So that's, the, that's the only way that it will work. So you almost have to get like, like an allowance on Netflix to, to do it. I think that would make sense because you're going to pair something that people already want to do, watch their favorite shows, 
and then you make them work for it by spinning on a Peloton bike. So you never know, maybe you'll have a Netflix bike in the future. I worry with technology that comes and changes so quickly when technology that is replaceable in two or three years is starting to cost as much as a used car. Yes. And I think that that's where they price themselves out of the market. Okay, we need to switch gears because I want to get the Super Bowl. It's coming up. All of you pirates out there, is it getting easier or harder to pirate the game? Well, you know, you're always going to find the ability to pirate the game. The one thing that you can't do with sports streaming, as we see people cutting the cord and going to, you know, paid, whether it's paid or pirated, you can't do live betting when you're when you're streaming on sports because right. of the inherent delays that you get. It's almost next to impossible. And so I'm very interested to see what happens with the Super Bowl when people are trying to do micro bets, which is very popular during Super Bowl. How are you going to do that when you're streaming and you can have a delay anywhere from five to 45 seconds? And, yeah. you know, there's delays in cable, but there's nothing like it is with streaming. And so that's going to be an interesting thing to watch uh, in the Super Bowl. In 10 seconds, micro betting, explain how it's like betting on this play, this possession. Absolutely. Can you, you can bet seconds. if it's going to you can bet if it's going to be heads or tails. You can bet on uh, what Dr. Dre is going to be wearing sunglasses or not on the yeah. Super Bowl. There's so many yeah. bets you can make, but it's hard to do like with you, streaming. You can bet on a throw, a pass. They're going to pass now. They're going to throw now. Uh, it's amazing. HandyAndyMedia.com, ShiftHeads.ca. Connect with all of his socials, please. Uh, then you can follow closely, especially if you're into gardening. Um, face looks good. Handsome as always, buddy. Beard or no beard. Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.